when I picked this title, I was hoping I would offend at least two-thirds of you right off the bat, because a lot of times it feels like child care, but that's not what I meant. So if you're feeling any conviction, I'll let you handle that. I'm not at all implying that you're children, but this is not a library either. This is a church, so you can have fun. You can laugh. You can talk. Most of you can't dance. So, anyway, it's great to be here. During one of the songs, uh, I got tickled because it kind of, the part of the, the chorus kind of summed up my whole week of preparing for this, and it said, when I lost me, you knew where I left me. And I think that pretty well, if you took this whole message this morning, that encapsulates it. And it was, it was kind of funny. I'd never heard that before, even though I've sung that song or actually probably hummed it a lot. But anyway, um, recently I've been on a journey where I, I just felt like the Lord was encouraging me to really read the Scripture. Don't just say what's been said. And so, you know, you, of course, you go to... Uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, I'll heal their land. But we never read 13, which basically says, I'm the one who's closed off heaven here. That's because you're not paying attention. We act like it's to change the, the world, and God's like, no, it's to change you. You're doing something. And, uh, and then also in Deuteronomy, we say, I'm the head and not the tail. And I've heard that quoted since I got saved. But, you know, it's attached to obedience. So if you're not obeying, let me just tell you, you're a tail. <laughs> you can call you, you know, if a tail calls himself a head, it's fine, but he's still a tail. Okay, it's attached to obedience. Even Matthew 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we quote it, and then we say, I want a big house, and I want a big career, and I want a big boat. And it's not about that. It's about not worrying or being afraid, because God's going to meet all your needs. And so I was going through all this stuff thinking that I was pretty righteous and uh, pious and I was going to let you guys know what I thought about you, <laughs> which by the way, I love you, even though I'm goofing off, I love you guys. Uh, and I was reading in Hebrews and in Hebrews 10 verse 39, it, it, this verse stuck, stuck out to me when it says at the beginning, we are not of those who shrink back. And you know how God will sometimes highlight a word or two and it just kind of sticks in your head and you really can't get rid of it. And I just kept thinking about shrinking back. And I thought, have I shrunk back? Because if you're a, a believer in any sort, you are miss you're supposed to be missional. If you, you can easily switch from missional to vocational. And so as I was pondering, have I shrunk back, I began to realize I've become vocational. You know, you can be a missional dog catcher and a vocational apostle. It depends on the condition of your heart. And so over time, we, we get weary of doing good, and so we begin to become uh, vocational. And when I was telling a couple of different staff members little pieces of this as I started, uh, I could tell by their reaction they didn't really think it was all that hot. 
And that's okay. I don't mind that. I've been snubbed by better than them. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what it did to me is it highlighted in my own heart that, that I've become, instead of delivering the word of the Lord in love, I've become angry. I, I, was deli- I, could, I could feel, I'm very self-aware, so I could feel the anger in my emotions. And it wasn't a, a, to tell you so you could get better, it was to tell you so I could tell you you were bad. Not really in those words, but you know what I mean. And it, and it did something to me, and I was uh, a little shaken. I've been walking with the Lord a long time, and it's, it's hard to, to admit that routine makes you dull. And even if your times with the Lord become routine, you're going to be dull. It doesn't really matter what happens. So Thursday, I was out and about trying to forget parts of this, what God was showing me, parts I didn't want to deal with. And this guy comes up. I've never, never met him before, never talked to him, never said a word to him. And he says, I think I have something uh, for you. And I'm thinking, awesome, finally the big boat. (laughs) And this is what he said. And I'll try to be composed. I said this like four times this morning to try to get this out of my system. He said, the little boy who's holding your hand is trying to tell you something, and you're not getting it. And then he went, that's all I got, and walked away. And I thought, no boat. But it haunted me. And I kept thinking, okay, I don't want any more kids. I'm not planning on adopting, although I'd be happy to care for some if they needed it. Um, and as I try to always do, if somebody tells me they have something from the Lord, who am I to say they don't? So I just entertained it. I said, like, okay, God, if you've got something to say, then I want to hear it. And he said very clearly, why are you trying to be an adult instead of a mature child? And I was so convicted because my vocation had now become adulthood and I'd lost my childhood. And so that was when I had to rewrite everything, so everything that people did for me on PowerPoints and everything was trash. They're they're upset, but that's okay. Matthew 18, 2 and 3, Jesus calling a child, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I thought, well, I better start figuring out what a child is. And I just started writing down characteristics of a child. And so we're going to go through some of them. First one is, there's no, sh- no shame from the past. They don't really care about the mistakes they've made. They just move on. It's like, oh, well, that was yesterday. It's not haunting them. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, which means your past is it's fine. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, he puts your past as far as the east is from the west. 
And this slide shows you what we normally do. See, we think we're being stomped on, but we're actually doing it to ourselves. <laughs> I thought that was great. I even like the Mickey Mouse on his shirt. But that's what we do. Children don't do that. That's what we do, because we don't feel like we deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. You have to receive it. And so children never really are worried or concerned of, of the shame from the past. And some of you need to hear that. Secondly, by the way, there's nine. And I'll drone on about each one, so... If you need to run to the bathroom, when I start one, you've got time to get back before the next one. <laughs> Secondly, they have no fear of the future. Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And this is right after Jesus is talking about God himself taking care of your needs. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. He's basically saying, relax. We've got this. There's absolutely no fear of the future in a child. They don't even think about it unless it's their birthday coming up. And then like, you know, five days seems like a year and a half. But if you look at a, a healthy eight, nine-year-old kid, they never think, I wonder what I'm going to do in the future. They're like, who's got the marbles? Let's go play. Thirdly, they're very trusting until you give them a reason not to. God has never given me a reason not to trust him, nor will he ever give you a reason not to trust him. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And I would say this, if you're having trouble trusting the, uh, trusting the Lord, put him to the test. He's not going to be offended by your questions. He only gets offended when you attack his character. So if you're struggling, just be honest. He already knows you're struggling. Say, I'm not sure I trust you. And he'll say, try me. And then when you do, trust will begin to grow. And as your relationship strengthens and grows, your trust will grow. You know, there was a time probably, I think this, this whole slide for me as I've been looking back has probably gone on for the last five years. I'm slow. I can't help it. You know. And it's, um, but there was a time where if I felt like God said, go stand in the middle of the highway, I would have done it. Which, uh, I don't, please don't go do that. But what I mean is my trust level was complete. Didn't really matter what he said or why he said it. I just did it. And he's been faithful my whole life. I've never had an instance where I, he wasn't faithful to me. But something happens as we mature and begin to act like we're supposed to be adults. We forget to be kids. And when you forget to be a kid, you lose all the joy of following him. Because we are kids. This is supposed to be a fun time. You've been saved from everything that can hurt you for all of eternity. You have nothing to lose, nothing to fear. It should be easy, but it's not because we let the world creep back in. Fourthly, they are brutally honest. Children will tell you 
the exact truth about the bump on your nose. Whether it's your clothes don't look very good or you have a funny face. They will tell you those things. I'm not suggesting we do that. Or that your breath stinks, you know. I remember a Clint Eastwood movie where he said something like, your mouthwash ain't getting it. And it reminded me of these kids. They'll tell you whatever they, you, you won't ever have to wonder what they're thinking. And God wants us to approach him so he doesn't have to wonder what, we think, what we're thinking. He already knows what we're thinking. But he wants us to know that he knows what we're thinking, which means you can relax. There's nothing to hide. He's already got it. Very honest. He already knows absolutely everything about us. And it's really ridiculous to think that we can hide anything. And the transparency he desires from you is so that he can do amazing things in you. He doesn't need anything. He's wanting to show you what you need so he can do it for you. Which is amazing to think about. It's actually, honesty is part of the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And the Bible is full of references to honesty and truthfulness. And actually, integrity is part of that as well. Okay, next. I don't know what number it is because I didn't number them. Okay, I knew the administrative people would know. (laughs) Children are dreamers. All kids are dreamers. They, want to, they dream about what they want to be when they grow up. Pastor Carroll wanted to be this, a baseball player for the New York Yankees. My great heights were to be a dump truck driver. And actually, yesterday I saw one, and that was still there. It's like, I'd really love to drive that thing. Because, <laughs> you know, if anybody else hits you, you won't even know it. It'll just be like, <laughs> and you're free. I guess in some ways I am a dump truck driver. (laughs) Some of you will get it later. (laughs) Children can believe in anything. They're not afraid to dream about the, the most wildest, outlandish things you can imagine. There's no separation for them between fantasy and reality. They think they can be the Hulk or that he's real and going to come through here at some point. Include him in your dreams. See, I don't need to dream something up, make it happen, and hand it back to God on a plate. Because he's not going to receive it. Number one, it's dead works because it was done in my own power, which means it's going to be lacking from the beginning. And number two, he doesn't need that. He doesn't even need me. He just wants me. And I don't know why. That's not my problem. He asked for it. He gets it. Here I am. Sorry. (laughs) Acts 2.17, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see, see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It's not normal for old men to dream. That's when they want to go and sit and pull out and retire, laugh at people and tell them to get off their grass. But God promises when he pours out his spirit that old men will still dream. There's no end to dreaming. Next, 
unconditional love. Children love unconditionally. And even those from abusive and horrific homes, when you talk to them, still love their mom and dad. Even though they don't want to be around them. They love them. Because children love unconditionally. <clears throat> and it's a trait that God requires in all of us. A childish trait. Not a crate. Trait. You can get a crate at Kroger. It's a childish trait that he wants, that we love unconditionally. Why would we not love unconditionally? Only because we think we deserve something better. If we withhold love in any shape or form, that's ungodly. And you say, well, what if they take advantage of you? They take advantage of you. It's not you anyway. It's, it's him. I don't own my life anymore. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I don't get a say. I just get to unconditionally love, which actually, if you think about it, think how free that is. You can't take anything from me. I will willingly give you anything I can. I will help you in any way I can. And I'll never murmur, complain, or gossip about you. I think you'd want to be with me. And that's what he desires. Because then we begin to look like him. And when you begin to look like him, what's the word say? When you lift me up, I draw. You know how many people desire unconditional love? Everybody. And the only ones who have an option to receive it are the ones who are in him. And everyone else has to wait. And hope that one of the unconditional loving people comes to them and shows them the way. Even though I understand that the, you know, creation can draw you and all kinds of things can draw you, it's much easier when someone comes to you and displays him. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And that basically means you're a safe person. Someone who's struggling, who needs to be loved, can share with you anything and you will not disclose it. Even if they try to pull your tongue out. You're just not going to say it. Because love, real love, does not have the need to elevate itself. It, has, it, it is an innate, essential part of love to serve. And if that means being quiet, you be quiet. If that means doing something for someone and nobody knows it, then you do it. Because we're not doing it for them, we're doing it for him. We represent him as ambassadors on this earth. Next is they're very forgiving. Children are quick to forgive. They don't hold a grudge. If you ask for forgiveness, they give it immediately. I remember raising six kids. I made lots of boo-boos. And uh, I would ask forgiveness and they would immediately. You know what they want to know? Do, do you know what you did? That's all they care about. Do you know? Okay, if you know and you ask me for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. God wants that trait in us. He wants us to develop that to the point that we forgive while the offense is happening. We have two examples. Of course, Jesus being the first who forgave while they were killing him. And then Stephen did it in Acts who forgave while they were killing him. And if you'll remember when J. Warner Wallace was here, 
you know, he, he did this thing on the ray, where the day you're born again, then for every eternity, your life goes that way. And the, the time you die doesn't change anything eternally. It just changes the kingdom and the format you're in. It just keeps going. So there's nothing really to protect, is what I'm getting at. If you're born again, that was the day you got translated into the kingdom of all eternity. doesn't matter what you do. You're going that way. And whether you're in the flesh here or with him in eternity, you're still going. So there's nothing to protect. And if that's the case, and if you really believe that, then forgiveness is easy. It's not like we have an option anyway. I mean, we can argue it all we want. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I won't, then my Father won't forgive you. That doesn't seem too ambiguous to me. It's pretty cut and dry. And the reason is, is because you've been forgiven a whole lot more of what you need to forgive for. There's nobody that's going to do anything to you that you haven't done much worse to the Father. And I remember uh, talking to someone who was working a, uh, an altar call, and a guy came up and, and he said, what do you want? He said, I want to get saved. And he said, God can't save you, and walked away. And of course, that freaked him out, and so he chased him all the way down the line as he was praying for other people. And finally, he turns back to him and he says, until you realize what your sin has done to the heart of the Father, God can't save you. We have to understand what we've done and the amount of forgiveness that we have so that we can extend that same forgiveness to everybody else. I have no right to hold anything against anybody. That doesn't mean I haven't been wronged. But the one who brings justice will take care of that one day. I never want justice for me. I want mercy. And when you begin to realize that, you want mercy for everybody else. Because justice is going to kill you. You deserve to die. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And they cast lots and divided his garments. Next, children are very persevering. They're relentless. And uh, you've all experienced this. They just, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. What do you want? I want it now, I want it now. They just never stop. If they get something in their mind, they will wear you out. And you know what happens 90% of the time? You give it to them just to get them out of the room. (laughs) And they know that. That's why they keep doing it. That's why you keep getting frustrated. And that's why they keep getting everything they want. By the way, that's Parenting 101, which I failed miserably for years. Just give it to them. But it sounds a little bit like the parable in Luke 11, where persistence got the man's neighbor to get up and give him some bread. Or the widow, an unjust judge in Luke 18. And God wants us to be that way. He wants us to be persevering. Don't quit, Matthew 7, 7. I'm reading it in the Amplified because I think it says it better. And if Joe were with us, he would agree and probably amen right here. He says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. In other words, keep at it. And I was taught, you know, they said, now if you ask twice, you don't have faith. Well, apparently if I haven't seen it, I don't have faith anyway. So just keep asking. Just keep asking, keep asking. 
It's not because when when kids are are really pushing on you, it's not because they don't like you. It's because they love you and they know that you want to give them what they want. And God's like, come on, let me hear your persistence. And if you say, well, you know, I'm an adult. We don't do that here. We just ask once because I have faith. And God's in control. And if I don't get it, I wasn't supposed to have it. Well, if I don't get it, I'm going to ask again. Come on, Dad. Or I'll get a haircut and he'll think I'm somebody else. (laughs) That could help. So persevere after what you want from him. I go after him not for ministry. I go after him because he's my dad and my brother. And he's living in me. The Holy Spirit's living in me and wants to commune with me and teach me whether I'm in the Word, praying, thinking about him, talking to you about the Lord. The Holy Spirit, my teacher, is always trying to teach me and show me who he is and let me know that I can experience as much or as little as I want. And what had happened to me over the last five years is my expectations kept dropping and kept dropping until it was vocational and I had none. I didn't even care. I mean, I cared, but you know what I mean. I've been reprimanded for saying I don't care several times, so I do care, but it doesn't bother me. How's that? Persevere. Don't let it go. If he, if you, if he, let me see how to say this. If the desires in your heart are from him, he wants to give it to you, but he's not always going to give it to you just because you want it. He wants to know how bad you want it. Because every level of relationship with the Lord costs you more. And, the, and what he's going to show you, he's going to bring you to a place, and he's going to show you the next place. And if you don't have the wherewithal to stand up and persevere for that, he's going to leave you right where you are. And eventually, that'll be too much for you, and you'll start backing up. Because disappointment just brings a heaviness and a cloud over your spirit, and you begin to pull back. Because you know you can, and I don't know if I can articulate this, what I, what I feel like I'm seeing, and that is you've attained it to here. You see that, but you can't get there. So you move back here so you can see this because you know you can get here. And this becomes the pinnacle instead of that. And then you get delusional to think that you've actually arrived somewhere. I'll do it this way. I didn't know if you guys saw that or not. But you know what I mean. You've got to persevere. You gotta, he only shows you to pique your interest. He's not going to give it all to you. Who wants to have a relationship that you don't have to discover? I mean, if you had a, a marriage and you just met each other and said, yeah, we're going to get married. I mean, the whole courtship is discovery. And then a lifetime together of more discovery. Okay, that's the same thing God wants with us. And lastly, kids very easily believe in the supernatural. They don't make a distinction. They're much quicker to receive supernatural revelation, uh, understanding they see things that we don't see because we've trained ourselves not to see them. We used to see them when we were young, but now, you know, you can't always just be in fantasy land. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can. Kids are always in fantasy land. 
And you've heard the saying that it's, it's uh, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's absolutely impossible. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Uh, because it's not about here, it's about there and about our king. There's a book called Visions Beyond the Veil by H.A. Baker. And uh, I read it years ago. Uh, Lori's read it and actually started again because it's such a good book. But it's, it was a bunch of street kids, some orphans, some runaways in China that were housed by a missionary couple and some other missionaries. And they did... Um, trained them, you know, fed them, taught them the word. And then all of a sudden, these kids started experiencing the Holy Spirit. Well, this couple wasn't teaching them about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Spirit. And then this is a quote from the book. One thing is certain. There was a Holy Spirit outpouring that demanded nothing on the part of the missionaries except our keeping out of the way, taking care not to interfere with his wonderful work. Our part was to open up our own hearts that we too might be taken deeper into the heavenly blessings that were falling in such mighty showers. And this was what he was watching. What happened after this was they went back to the scriptures to find out if this was real and found out it was. And the guy who wrote the book, which I just read this yesterday online, is the grandfather of Roland Baker, Heidi Baker's husband. So they were traditional missionaries who had never experienced this. The kids got it, all right? Children get supernatural things quicker and easier than adults because they don't, they don't have all this to mess with. And I'd encourage you to read the whole book because it's, it's a fascinating account. And there are a lot of accounts of children experiencing God. Revival's breaking out with kids, and uh, it, it's amazing, and we tend to squelch it, because it's not in order, because we think this, again, we think this is a library and not a church, and you can't make noise, so believe in the supernatural. If you're struggling in it, just ask the Lord, show me, why I don't I believe in this? Second uh, Corinthians 4.18, so as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And you have access. So here's the, here's the nine things. I have them numbered here. No shame from the past. No fear of the future. Trusting. Honest. Dreamers. Unconditional lovers. Forgiving. Persevering and believing in the supernatural. And I'm sure there's other traits that apply to children. That's where I, got, I got, kind of got bored with it after that. No, I didn't get bored. I just figured I wouldn't have any more time anyway. And you know, Jesus, just pulling all this back in now, I know that's a lot of information, but Jesus didn't deal with internal issues. Everything he dealt with was external. Bad governments, bad churches, bad people. It never got into him. It always came from outside. If you're a new believer, everything starts from outside and comes towards you. It never starts in here. This is his. The day you become a believer, this is now his. He doesn't share it. All right. 
So the enemy comes. During the temptation of Jesus in uh, Luke 4, verse 13 says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, or a more opportune time. And when is that more opportune time? In other words, Jesus withstood 40 days of temptations from the devil. Finally, the devil said, okay, this isn't working. I'll come back another time. Had a more opportune moment. <clears throat> of course, he never got a more opportune moment. He thought he did, and that ended up in the cross and our eternal victory. But let me ask you this. When is a more opportune moment for you? When's he going to come back at you? And it's, I can tell you when. It's whenever you begin to believe the lies that you rejected the day you were born again. Whenever that thought comes and you agree, you have now given him a more opportune time. Because that's all he needs. He has no place in you unless you give it to him. So he gives you bait. Temptation is not a problem unless you have an appetite for it. And if your appetite's there, you're in trouble. Because the enemy will bring it to you right in front of your face. And he'll let you hide it for a while. See, he'll, let, he'll help you hide it. I remember there was a Bruce Springsteen song, and I don't know why this is just coming to me. It said uh, they were running down the street, and he said that the, these guys, that the devil gave them a place that even the cops couldn't find or something. And I'm thinking that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, he, will, he will draw you away with something that entices you, and he will help you hide it and cover it until he thinks he's got you, and then he'll expose you. And that's, we read about it every week. And it's because the enemy has sent the lie, and we think, hmm, I used to like that. Maybe now that I'm mature, it won't be as big a problem. And it's worse. So when's the more, this is what you need to think about. When is a more opportune time for the devil to come at you? Because you know it's possible to not have an opportune time for him to get to you. All you have to do is stay childlike and obey. So if any of these things are, are something you deal with, shame, paralyzing fear of the future, don't trust, you're dishonest, you quit dreaming just to survive, you give conditional love, which is most of us in some form. We harbor unforgiveness. We quit when it gets difficult. Or we regard the natural more than the supernatural. You are potentially giving him a more opportune time. And that's why we need to seek our hearts. How do you deal with it? It's a really, I'm going to give you like a 75-step process to deal with this. Actually, it's got six letters. Repent. Just repent. That's all you got to do. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, 
resist the devil, and he will flee. If the Holy Spirit is in any way speaking to you, you're submitting to God if you respond. The minute you respond, you're submitting to God, which means you're resisting the enemy, and he will flee. That's why sometimes when you come up for prayer up here, and you know that you know that you're free when the service is over, by Tuesday, it's difficult. And you want more prayer because you entertained it again. See, once you repent and you know that you're free, you're free. It's not conditional freedom. It's unconditional freedom. And even though you've been dependent on some of your, your weaknesses, that is gone unless you retake it. It's like a, it's like a, a little, it's just like you're at the end of a fishing rod. Here it comes. And you bite it, sometimes just out of habit. But then what do you do? Repent. I was taught years ago, this is the worst teaching in the history of the planet. I'm surprised, actually, I'm surprised I'm still saved after this one. It wasn't you. <laughs> just, it wasn't in this church. Uh, it was a teaching on grace. It was one of the transforma, forma, transformative teachings that I actually listened to. But in one of the tapes, he said, now, if you receive grace to overcome something, and then you go back to it, there's no more grace for that. You're on your own. You know what kind of bondage that puts people in? Now, I'm not saying he said it exactly that way. That's what I heard. But, and how it affected me was, every time I had a failure, I just wrote it off like, this one's gone. <laughs> you know, I, did, I don't have any grace, and I didn't do well before I had grace, so I'm not going to do well now. And that's not at all what God does. Repent. The grace to overcome, which is power, it's not just unmerited favor, it's power to overcome. Whatever he shows, whenever he shows you something, it's so you can overcome it. He doesn't show you so he can beat you up and then laugh at you while you go down the gutter. That's no fun, you know. He'd much rather watch you get up, take your bed and walk, and then go tell others. I hate it when I... Just go off for a second and then forget where I was. Oh, I'm over here. Don't worry. We're, we're actually going to finish. So we're talking about the opportune times. And where we don't agree with God, we reject the truth of God. You see, when he pres whatever God tells you, it's true. When you reject that, you actually reject his truth. It's not like you get to decide what you're going to use and what you're not going to use. It's all true or it's all not true. And a lot of times we fail in certain areas of our life because we've, we believe the truth, the truth, the truth, but not that part, and then the truth, the truth, the truth. And we think because we're doing better than most people that we're okay even though we, we maybe cry ourselves to sleep or we struggle when we're alone. We put the face on when we're with people. But it's all or nothing. It's not like you can just willy-nilly come and go because we ha you, you, you are righteous the day you get born again but you have to live righteously the rest of your life see he can't when, when God reveals something to me it comes from in here 
same as it does for you. All right, I have one teacher, the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses men, he uses women, circumstances, he uses all kinds of things, but the teacher is him. All right, when he reveals the truth to me, and you can probably all relate to this, you see it, and then you lose it, or it never really works out. You thought, man, this is, this is awesome. And then tomorrow it's like, man, what happened to that? Where'd that go? And that's because your soul has not been renewed to that area. So he gives me a revelation. If I've been renewed in that area, I'll receive it. If I haven't, I lose it. It comes and it just, it's just like the enemy says, oh, no, he doesn't believe this anyway. He just takes it away from me. Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not of those who shrink back, which I've started that, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I was in Greece several years ago, and I met a man named Dr. Atif. He's the guy on the left. I'm, I'm the one in the orange shirt. And uh, he was an Egyptian uh, doctor who got saved performing surgeries. Because he would look and think, there's no way this can be by accident. So he gets saved, and when I met him, he gets up at three every morning and prays for a minimum three hours. He fasts at least one meal a day, you can probably tell. Uh, and he spends all his time with the Lord. And when you walk by him, you know it. Even if you don't know he's there. When you walk, it's like, oh, there's a presence here that's different. And so when we were talking, he said, you know, when I tell people what, that, I, that I get up and I pray and I do all these things, he said, they always look at me and go, you're legalistic and you're works-oriented. And he said, you know what? I'm saving my soul. So that when God speaks to his heart, he never rejects it from his head. Because he is constantly in the word with the Lord, becoming more and more like him as a child and receiving the truth from God. And he, he says, I do this to save my soul, and we, we're supposed to do the same. We make no room for the flesh. I don't build my picture of God around my circumstances, my personality, my giftings. My personality needs to be adjusted. My giftings need to be adjusted to look like him. My personality, for sure, needs some work. See, we need to look to the Word or the Holy Spirit to find out what it's supposed to look like and then make the adjustment. When you make the adjustment, you bring your soul into alignment with your spirit, and then your flesh is not an issue. We're supposed to crucify that anyway. Romans 2, we're, we're about to finish up here. Romans 2, 3 through 4. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, sometimes we get this false idea that because nothing's happening, it's okay. But his goodness is supposed to lead you to repent. 
Because repentance is the instantaneous switch back to his face. And you'll be fine. And he keeps waiting. And obedience to Christ has to be complete. Last verse. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down every argument and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Right? Not just bad thoughts. All thoughts. What is the obedience of Christ? Complete. In every area. Every thought, every intent, every deed. He obeyed completely what the Father wanted. And then we're supposed to do the same. And it creates a canopy. You have prayer and worship and uh, the Word and, and then obedience and it all covers you. And there's nowhere for the enemy to come in. There is, there is no more opportune time. See, he's coming at you every day, all the time. And he can't be everywhere, so he just watches. He just says, okay, I'll come back. He probably puts one of his little minions on you, and then they say, hey, this is a good time. I'm just making that up. I don't know. What I'm saying is, you can be completely free without any worry. And I think Ephesians says it this way, having done all to stand, stand. It doesn't mean stand like this. It just means stand like this. Can't get me. I'm free. And that's what he wants for all of us. So again, repent. James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Every time. It never fails. And just it's our job to make sure he never has a more opportune time to come and get us.